0: Hi, this is Kate Luzio, founder and CEO of Luminary, New York's premier collaboration space for women who are passionate about professional development and expanding their networks. Welcome to Come Sit at Our Table, our Be A Luminary podcast. During our podcast, we'll speak to luminous leaders, exploring how they're inviting others to their table and exemplifying luminary behavior in their personal and professional lives. We welcome you to listen and come sit at our table. So welcome to Come Sit at Our Table podcast from Luminary. I am here with Mindy Grossman the president and CEO of WW International, formerly Weight Watchers. Welcome. to be here this morning. This is exciting. So for the listeners, we are uh, delighted to have Mindy uh, speak at our Luminous Speaker Series later this morning. But we had so many requests for people saying they couldn't come today. So we're excited to have you on the podcast. So we're going to get right into it. And I never read bios. I don't like that, especially for women. I want them to tell their personal story. So if you could talk a little bit about your career journey and what led you to ww today so i consider
1: myself what i would call an accidental ceo (laughs) Uh, and no journey in any way shape or form is linear and mine certainly was not Um, you know i have an interesting background i was adopted Um, my mom didn't finish high school my father uh, didn't go to college they got married very very young and tried for many, many years to have a child and couldn't. My father worked nights in the produce business. They could not afford adoption. And 12 years after they got married, my mom was 30, my dad was 34, and this was a long time ago. Um, My father went into work one night and the gentleman he worked for, who loved him, handed him an envelope with a check that was the money to adopt a child.
0: Oh my gosh. And
1: I'm the child.
0: Wow. And
1: because of that, it's really interesting. I was very serious from a young age and I somehow inherently felt, and I can articulate it today much more than I was able to then, that if I was given this gift, I better do something with it and i really felt that my future was to build a career and um, build a life that allowed me to be the person who could give the gift versus take the gift and that has driven me um, throughout my life in Mm -hmm. a very positive way Uh, i intended to be a, a a lawyer because um, growing up, I didn't grow up, I didn't even really know what a CEO was, right, so right. you became a professional, right. right? A doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, and anyone that knows me knows I wouldn't want to be a doctor, wouldn't want to be an accountant, so I became a <laughs> lawyer, uh, ended up actually getting engaged when I was 19, I was going to get married, and uh, I started college at 16, very young, wow. um, finished high school as a junior, and was laser focused. And there I was in my last semester of college at GW, and I literally woke up one morning and made a decision that changed the course of my life and career, that this was not the path that I needed to go on. So uh, I called my stereotypical Jewish parents and said, I have something (laughs) to tell you. Uh, I'm not getting married. I broke my engagement. I'm not going to law school. And I am moving to New York, and I'm going to figure it out. Wow. You can imagine what was on the other end of the phone. I'm
0: absolutely sure.
1: Plus, you were young. Yeah, I was very young. I moved to New York when I was 20 in 1977, pre-Giuliani days, actually. There was still graffiti (laughs) on the subway cars. Um, And, you know, literally said, I want to be in a more creative business. I may not be the creator, but I want to be in the business of making creativity Mm -hmm. monetized. And I looked in two industries. I looked at the fashion industry, and I looked at um, media. And I had two job offers, and you could tell how old I am, because one of them was (laughs) Allied Artists, new video division, (laughs) and one was Manhattan Industries working, which is a a menswear Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. womenswear portfolio company then, working for the president of International. And I decided that that was what I wanted to do. And, you know, living on the Upper East Side where your apartment costs probably as much as your first uh, job. But mm-hmm. I, I said, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to learn. I took textile technology courses at night. Uh, but interestingly enough, as much as the gentleman, Fred Rostein I was working for was amazing and he followed my career for years and years and years, uh, I realized that the company was not going to be friendly to women oh, wow. outside of very narrow roles. Okay. So even at 21, um, mm. the idea of I'm, I'm not going to push against a door that's not going to open so I, I left and took another role in another men's uh, company, um, ended up working with a designer named Jeffrey Banks, who is a very close friend to this day, a uh, young African-American designer who came out of Ralph Lauren, mm-hmm. uh, worked for him, and then the company I was working for decided they didn't want to move forward, worked for another designer, and finally uh, got a call from Jeffrey and this is about relationships. Yeah. Right, who was named the creative director of a company called Morona Sport, which was one of the hottest companies of early eighties. Eighties, yeah. And said, You need to come here, I've just been named Creative Director. And I went to Morona. And there was a group of incredibly talent motivated young people. And it definitely reminds me of the entrepreneurship cultures right. that are being built today. Now, yeah. That's what that was like. And where people ended up coming out of there was spectacular. So was there. And then I was promoted to run sales for his eponymous division called Jeffrey Banks. So there I was, a VP of sales at 26. Wow. And the funny part is the sales organization that worked for me, John Varvedos, I hired as my Midwest sales rep. Wow. Kevin O'Malley, wow. Elle, who just went and, and did other things. Isaac Mizrahi was the women's wear designer. Lynn Tesoro, who now has the big PR firm. But that's what culture breeds. Right. Right, That's what culture breeds. And it was an incredibly you know, exciting time. Um, but the corporate entity wasn't putting enough investment in it, and I felt it was time to make a move. And I went to work for an incredible, incredible designer named Willie Smith, yeah, who again was one of the breakthrough black designers, uh, first designer to ever do uh, a show at the Puck building, um, worked with Max Vatical to, instead of a fashion show, um, showed his clothes in a movie that was done out of Senegal on the Senegalese National Ballet. And interestingly enough, and Cooper Hewitt is doing a respect, retrospective on him that's going to open in March. Oh, really? Which should be amazing. Yeah. He was literally the first designer to believe that fashion came from the street up, not necessarily couture, couture down. down, yeah. And really democratized fashion and believed um, in the intersection of art and culture. And that experience, and I tell people that experience for me, or the multitude of my experiences about embracing diversity, Mm -hmm. looking at creativity in a new light, and realize that democratization and being able to touch a lot of people can happen at every level. And I had a number of opportunities throughout my career to run luxury businesses, mm-hmm. and I co- made a conscious decision that was not what I wanted to do. And as my husband said, he goes, you made up for it with wearing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, you know, I had an incredible opportunity to work for Willy. It's when It's where I met my husband, and um, not at the company, but during, during that, that time, time period, and sadly, Um, he passed Mm -hmm. of of, of AIDS, um, but left such an incredible legacy. He was only 39 years old and what he did in that time period. Uh, And I was very fortunate to uh, have the opportunity to work with a designer who was relatively small, maybe a $35 million company at the time, named Tommy Hilfiger, Uh, when Silas Chow and Lawrence Stroll and um, Joel Horowitz came in and spent the next few years with a meteoric rise. I headed up all sales and merchandising. Had my daughter uh, while I was there. Uh, went from a meeting with Nordstrom to the hospital, have the baby, and was back in four weeks. Those were different times. And, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'd been very aggressively pursued by uh, a company called Chaps Ralph Lauren, yep. which was owned by Warnico. And I was like, "Are you crazy? I'm with the hottest company in the menswear industry." Right. Right. And finally, um, I get the call and said, "Would you just meet with Ralph Lauren and Peter Strom, who was his partner at the time?" And and by the way, I'm still very close friends with with Tommy, an amazing guy. And I was like, "Yeah." I think i should i should do that and if you've ever met either of them they're very convincing <laughs> and i ended up uh, making the decision and there were a couple of reasons for it i felt i was ready to be a president of a division of mm-hmm. a company there were going to be extremely few opportunities for a woman in the men's d- industry, right. to have that title as and a if, whole. If you go back, there used to be a publication called the Daily News Record, which was kind of like the Women's Wear Daily, but of wear, And they would do like the top 50 or the top 100, and you would see maybe three women, and the other ones were designers. Right. right. And I decided to take the plunge and become president at Chaps Ralph Lauren, which was a struggling business of Warnico. Uh, doing about 26 million dollars, not profitably. Mordeco had just gone public, and took the company from about 25 million to 250 million in three years, which was an incredible, incredible opportunity. But the culture of the company was not one that I could abide by. And um, you know, everybody asked me what's the biggest risk I took in my career, and I've always taken risks, but I made a decision to leave the company without having another job. job. And the reason I did is, and, and I talk to people about this all the time, if you are in a culture that fosters toxicity or that doesn't align with your values, if you stay there, ultimately, in my opinion, you become complicit and you're going to be looked at as part of that as part culture. Of absolutely. And a culture of fear does not keep their best people. Right. right. So I walked in that morning and said, and actually it was a woman who ran the company, I said, you know, probably the two worst bosses I ever had yeah, were, women, were women, which is very interesting. Uh and said, you know, I'm leaving and finally, uh, I remember she said, Well, you either have another job, you're independently wealthy, or you're stupid. And I said, Or D none of the above, and I was escorted out by security. And there I was standing on Park Avenue and um thirty something street, and I remember the night before telling my husband I was going to do it. And I've been very fortunate for almost 32 years. It'll be 32 years next week to have someone who had ultimate support. And I said, look, um, you know, I had to work. Yeah, we had a young child. And uh, but I said, it's it's the right thing to do. And two days later, I got a call from Ralph and Peter. And they said, we're sorry you left. but If you're going to work anywhere, we want you to work for us. We don't even know what the job is going to be but why don't you come in and head up business development and create new business opportunities for us. I did that for a year, did the business plan, found the license, and started Polar Jeans Company. Ran that for four years until it got acquired by Jones New York. And then got a call from a man named Phil Knight, uh, which was (laughs) a huge opportunity for me to go into, it was almost like getting an MBA in marketing and a global business. Right dynamic to be the um, most senior woman in the organization when Phil had come back into, into the company, it. put the new team together, um, did this crazy commute. That's a whole other story. I was just going to
0: ask, did you didn't relocate? No, I did not. Oh my gosh. Um,
1: and there were many reasons for that. My parents were older. And actually, I turned the job down with kind of tears in my eyes, if it must know the truth. Um, and. They called me back and said we're willing we'll to make it work out. if you are. And we had the big family sit down, the nanny, the child, Osman, and we said, "Look, let's try and make it work for. We'll see how long." And somehow, six years flew wow. by. Um, but after six years, um, you know, you get to a point. Uh, we talk about this a lot with stress on women. Actually, you become the sandwich
0: yes. generation.
1: I was taking care of my parents, my child, my daughter was going into high school, and said, "I have to. I have to make a hard decision." Yeah. Uh, where do you go after you've had this incredible experience? I started their first women's leadership council. Um, you know, you know when you've worked on an Olympics and you've worked on a World Cup, and you know when you work for a company like Nike, you're the cool kid. Oh, absolutely, right? and everybody everybody wants. wants. To be yeah, a part. absolutely. And I made the very untraditional. Uh, decision or not expected decision to go work for Barry Diller and take over at the time what was then IAC Retail, which was Home Shopping, home shopping Network yeah. and a catalog portfolio. And when it was announced that um, I was leaving to go do that, uh, people thought I'd had a midlife crisis. I was going to say, I can only imagine, yeah. And, <laughs> but, you know, I, I do believe that most people see what's right in front of them. And I think the people that I look for are the people that have the capacity to imagine a vision or see the confluence of changes that are happening in the world and the implications they're going to have on business. And I, it was a very conscious decision. I'd made a list. I wanted a business that was going to take advantage of changes in consumer behavior, mobility, technology, content creation, storytelling, uh, I loved an entrepreneurial spirit mm-hmm. but I liked scale. I'm more of an entrepreneur than right. truly an entrepreneur having done a startup. So the
0: infrastructure's there. Correct.
1: And um it was a spectacular experience. You know, I worked for Barry for 2 years and then made the decision that uh the company should spin out and go public. Yeah.
0: In the middle of the financial crisis. So I took the company public
1: in (laughs) August 2008, a few weeks before the collapse. And I recently uh, taught a module at Yale Executive Education, so C-suite executives Mm -hmm. around the world on the CEO's perspective on business transformation, and said, if you want to be that transformer, which I've been pegged as and that's what I love to do, um, you really need to have three things. You need to have the alignment and support, unwavering support of your board, assuming mm-hmm. that there's belief in that right. vision. Uh, you need the investment dollars to be able to do what you need to do. And, boy, do you need to be resilient because it's never linear. And I remember we went public. The stock was probably at about $10. And by December, it was about $1. twelve, wow. And people were worried we were going to break our debt covenants. Um, But we had relaunched the business a year before, and it was um, doing unbelievably well. And what people don't realize is HSN specifically was one of the few retailers that grew in 2008 and 2009. Some of our catalog businesses had different challenges. Um, But we came out of it a stronger company because my perspective as a leader was the companies that are offensive and lean in versus yes. defensive and lean back are going to be the more successful ones. And we're going to continue to invest in innovation. And yes, we'll make hard decisions. And I had the support of the board and we came at a stronger company. And then, you know, fast forward to October 2015 with a $75 stock price. Right. Um, we, we, we proved uh, the validity of the business model. Uh, was there for almost 10 years, uh, the last couple of years was really in an interesting moment of thinking what is next. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were going to put a new CEO in, I could transition to chairman, but I knew I had one more thing. And I think, um, you know, it was, I was 59, It was about to be 60, and I'm contemplating, you know, what are the next five years? What are the next 10 years? And I started doing a lot of work around What were the next tailwinds going to be and what businesses? Right. And I started speaking around the world on this topic of the brands of the future are going to be the ones that marry technology plus meaning to help people live more fulfilled, connected lives. Yeah, better
0: life. Yeah. And
1: I spoke in Dubai and I spoke in Vegas and I spoke in different places, which took me down the path of looking at um, the health and wellness space. and. Um, got very, very interested in how people wanted to live their best lives and what was happening in technology and and said, that is really interesting to me. While at the same time, I'm getting calls to run all these big retail companies or fashion companies, and I said, that's not what I want to
0: do. Do, yeah. Um,
1: and I sp- was watching... Um, CNBC or something mm-hmm. and I saw uh, in October 2015 that Oprah had become part of the company as a major shareholder and a board member uh, but more important that the company wanted to pivot from not just being an incredible weight loss company that has transformed people's lives through healthy weight loss community etc they wanted to be that much more and really help people live a holistic life of meaning and health and so I started watching and actually bought stock in the company never knowing I'd be at the company it was a good purchase um, <laughs> and a year later I saw that they you know parted ways with the CEO and I started really doing the research and when I had the opportunity to speak with the company Um, And I spent a lot of time, uh, whether it was spending time with Ray DeBan, the chairman, or every member of the board, or Oprah. spent a day with her to understand what was her motivation. Uh, Because I said, if I'm truly going to commit myself, and I commit 100% to do this, I have to believe... Those three things exist, yeah. right? The alignment of support of the board, the investment dollars, and that this is what um, I was signing up for. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a six page manifesto to the board of what I saw and what I thought and what I thought this business could be and said, if this is what we both want to do together, I want to do this. And so, uh, two years ago, almost to the day, um, you know, that's that's where I've, I've been. It's been the most fulfilling uh, opportunity of my life because I'd made a conscious decision that if I was going to do something else, not only did I want to deliver a financial return on equity, I wanted to deliver a human return yeah. on equity. And I really wanted to empower people to live the life they could. And uh, this goes back to my very first story that if I had the opportunity to be given something and I have a platform and I have the experience, uh, what I use it for at this point in my life is really important to me. Um, You know, I'm vice chairman of the US fund for UNICEF. I'm involved with a number of other things. Um, I spend a lot of time speaking on behalf of diversity and empowerment of women, Um, but diversity as a whole Mm -hmm. is really important to me that if I'm gonna do something know, it has to be that fulfilling and you know, particularly now as uh, you know, my daughter, you know, just had her second Mm -hmm. daughter and what legacy am I leaving for them? And if you think of two of the things that could affect the future of our society One is if we don't embrace diversity of all kinds and we have the kind of schisms that we have today. And number two, if we don't change the health trajectory of the world, um, my granddaughter has a better chance of being obese and unhealthy when she grows up than she does of being healthy, and that's just not right. So how can we... Right, and that's in the most developed country in the world. Correct. Right. Correct, and that is now a global crisis oh absolutely Um, it's not something that exists and the the other critical thing is that where it's even that much more magnified is where uh there is an income divide Mm -hmm. uh, or whether there's an access divide and what i love about Weight Watchers, now WW and what our brand stands for, it is about the democratization of wellness Yeah. Uh, and how can we empower people to not just take control, but give them the tools to enable them to create the kind of behavior change that is going to allow them to live the best and healthiest life they can of meaning. and. That's what we do every yeah. single day. And so day. much of
0: that starts with education, right? When you think about what WW has done and their, I mean, in their sort of legacy of what they've been as, as Weight Watchers, now you've rebranded. It's really
1: interesting. It is the intersection of education and inspiration. Yeah. So giving people the tools, but also giving them the motivation and inspiration. And if you think about what we're trying to do and create this 360-degree lens that people can look through. It's about nutrition, activity, mindset, Mm -hmm. which is really critical, Uh, motivation, whether that's through awards and recognition, Um, community, which is at the heart and soul of everything we do, Uh, whether that's physical or whether that's digital, and then personal support to know that you have a coach or that you know that you have someone that you can talk to at any point. And it's the combination of those things that we deliver, um, and that's what we've been really investing in over the past number of years. And whether that's the technology investment, the talent investment, uh, the content and distribution investment or the community activation, yeah. that is what's going to make the difference long-term.
0: No, I, I, we, I hold her as someone who did a, a, kind of a complete 180 in my career and left you know, 20 years of banking to, to, to launch Luminary. It is so much about the community and how. And that's it, what you're creating
1: here, and yeah. that is what is so powerful. And what I also love is that it's not one mindset, right. one demographic the value of community is the shareability of experience. And I learn so much from so many of the young entrepreneurs that I spend time with. So the value of their experience for me is tremendous, but I also hope that the value of my experience and learnings is relevant as other people go through the journey because I've played some of these movies before. Right, right. Right? Yeah. And what did you learn from them? And that, to me, is the value of diversity.
0: That's really what it's about. Right. It's not just the way you look or your sexual orientation. It's also this diversity of thought, right, and what you bring to the table. I mean, we are, particularly as women, so segmented into a certain bucket, right? You're a creative, you're uh, in media, you're in fashion, you're you know, you're a CEO, why are we doing that? Why are we not bringing each other together? And the value of learning from one another, this cross-pollination of, it, of ideas. That's really what it is. Um, and you said it's diversity of thought. Uh,
1: when I was at Nike, um, Franz Johansson had just come out with the book called The Medici Effect, and I brought him in to speak. <laughs> And it's about how diversity drives innovation and the case Mm -hmm. studies, obviously, from the Medici period um, and brought forward into today and those companies who are embracing diversity of thought. And I always say that I want to surround myself with incredible talent and incredible diversity that I can learn from every single day. Exactly. But the other thing that diversity really cultivates... Um, is what I call almost democratized debate or productive discomfort is one of my favorite words. Um, Because you can have those challenging conversations because people are coming into it, A, you have to make sure people have the right intent, of course, but they're all going to look at it through a different framework and you can have these robust and deep discussions and then come out with something that would be that much more... Sometimes profound or sometimes clear than
0: if you had everybody the same sitting around the table oh that, i you know you um the replicant strategy, right? It's surrounding yourself by the same people, right? And-, and It is the kiss of death. It, it absolutely. And I've seen it happen to companies that I banked as a banker. Um, when you walked in the room and everybody around the table looked exactly the same. It's just not, there's not, it's no longer okay. the ability, you're not going to survive. I have, a, I have a
1: funny story from my Nike days. So I was only at the company maybe six months and I was invited to and part of a global basketball meeting there had to be 60 people at least in the room Um, I was the only woman and so here I am this white you know blonde 40 something (laughs) blonde woman from New York in the fashion industry in the room talking about basketball Um, because I ran the global apparel business, so it was relevant to my business. And we go around the room, and then I open my mouth to speak, and I make a comment, and everybody turns around and looked at me like, oh, words of wisdom. And I went, whoa, everybody. (laughs) Okay, If you really want some diversity of thought here, and you want another opinion, you may want a couple of more Of of us that come from different, or maybe somebody who... Is a woman who maybe played basketball right. or came from a different culture. But it's the, the thing that's important, it was important that I said that. Yes. It was important that in a way that was not intimidating or berating or guilt-ridden. It's just, hey, there's an opportunity here. And I think lending voices to things like that. And I know all of us. Every single person has had the moment where they walked out of the meeting and said, God, I wish I would have yes. said something, yes. done something, you know, in a, in a right way. Um, and so I say to myself, I never want to walk out saying I should have. Right. Right. But you, it's how you handle things. Um, and if you go into a situation thinking positive intent... Now, sometimes it's not. Right. And then you have to handle things differently. Differently. But if you err on the side of that, I think in most cases, you will have a positive outcome and you will have given people
0: insights that they may not have even realized. Now, do you think, kind of going back to earlier in your career when you walked out on that role at Warner Co. and said, I'm quitting, do you think had you stayed... Well, two t- kind of two parts. Do you think had you stayed anything would have changed? And two, when you left, do you think that turned the light bulb on for anyone there? I would say
1: I don't think anything would have changed because leadership at the top sets the tone. Right. It just sets the tone. So as much as I had created an incredible culture within my bubble of business... right? Because at the time, I ran the the whole men's business, not just chaps. um, You can only insulate yourself so far Mm -hmm. because the overarching reputation of the company is going to usurp whatever you can do within your four walls, ultimately. Um, So unfortunately the outcome did not end up being a good story. Right. Um, because As a company. Well, as, a, as a company. Um, now, I think for me, you know, having made that decision to leave was one of the pinnacle moments of my career, and I don't believe I would be here today if, if I had not done that because it really reaffirmed um, my belief that values are one of the greatest assets you need to have as a leader if you are going to attract talent, if you're going to build a network. You are only who you really are. And I've been very fortunate. You know, I've had people that have worked for me for three companies in a row right. or that I have uh, I feel that I've supported and have watched them go on to incredible careers. And that's a very important um, Element of, you know, what I think leadership is.
0: Well, I, and I think you know we hear so much about CEOs and founders and everyone else that are in the that sort of at the leadership table. That passion and hardworking. One of the words that I I often hear that's not that's not in there, and I think it's not it's not deliberate, but integrity, right? Because your people are watching what happens at every single day, whether you think whether whether you know it or not. And when they see you standing up, whether it's for yourself or others, it's a huge, significant moment for them, too. Whether Very you, much so. Right? And another part of that
1: is I tell people all the time that what defines you in many cases is what you say no to, not just what you say yes to. Yeah. And whether that's as your brand or whether that's your individual brand, it's incredibly important. And then, you know... Everybody has a purpose filter and uh, a mantra of what mm-hmm. they're they're led by. And for me, it's passion. You know, am I passionate about yeah. it? Can I wake up every morning and be excited? It doesn't mean you're not going to have a bad day. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Um, I've <laughs> had plenty. Um, you know, but but is is it inherently? What, what you believe in and mm-hmm. what you want to do and what's going to motivate you and excite you and the people that are around you. The second is purpose. Mm-hmm. Is it purposeful? Purposeful. Mm-hmm. Is it going to take you? Is it going to take the company? Is it to... I mean, there are things that I'm passionate about in my personal life, but I'm not going to build a career around out of that. Right. Um, and then third, will you have impact? And I feel that you can have as much impact in your first job as you can, all the way up to whatever that platform is, all relative to what the experience right. is. And to have the greatest impact, your focus needs to be on making other people successful versus thinking of yourself. Because if you focus on making others successful, you will, the company will be more successful and ultimately you will be more successful. And you know, I believe the reason that I have the relationships and the network And the support that I do is because that's been the focus of what I'm doing. Now, fast forward today, and I'm very fortunate to have the platform I have. Sure. And to have the voice and to have the access. And if I do not use that what have I been working for for the past forty-two years? Right, and
0: and talking about going back to your original statement, the gift that you're giving, correct? Right, and you're at that point, multiple parts of your career to give be be able to give yeah. that gift, but now. And look, I want to pave a path
1: for yeah. next generations, including my granddaughters and and their kids, and you know have them feel that whatever they want to do is in reach
0: depending on what they want to do absolutely so that's a great segue because the name as you know the name of the podcast is come sit at our table because we welcome all and there's more room for everybody back to whatever you look like to whatever you do that diversity of thought how are you you've worked in so many different industries now a lot of menswear, Um, Nike, HSN, now WW, but how are you inviting and making room for other women at the table as you've had such a a career where you were the only woman for so long? There's a number of
1: things that are really important to me. Uh, One is lending my voice and being accessible and being a voice not just for women lending my voice to educate men how important it is and not just men educating everyone on the power of diversity Mm -hmm. Um, you know I think it's important to be in environments with all women that you can have the shared experience and have a community of support Mm -hmm. but it's equally as important to speak in a room that is diverse and talk about the power of diversity and be someone who maybe turns the light bulb on for someone else else. to change behavior or to modify how they think about organization or how they think about culture. It's really important to me that I can help lead the way for that. The second thing is, part of it is just I'm inherently one of the most curious people in mm-hmm. the world, and I love meeting people. But I really spend a lot of time with younger women, mm-hmm. particularly entrepreneurs. So whether it's you know hanging out with a new Dugal and everyone at Females mm-hmm. Founder Fund, or being here yeah. uh, with you, or really being in environments where I can meet a lot of people and um, I I set apart a significant, actually, amount of my time. Obviously, I have to run a company. Right. And I want to be with my family, mm-hmm. and I have other things I like to do. But I leave time to experience something new, whether it's every day or every week. And that could be uh, meeting someone mm-hmm. um, that I'm just interested in and curious about what they're doing, mm-hmm. Uh Absor- uh, absorbing content in a different way, having a different type of experience, even ones that may make me more uncomfortable. Um, and it's a constant curious learning. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people will literally say to me, Why are you meeting with that person? Right. Why are you doing that? Why are you taking the time? And I'm like, Why aren't you? Why
0: aren't you? Right. Why aren't you? Exactly. Uh,
1: because you never know. Um, and the day that somebody thinks that they have no more to learn is the day they need to retire
0: yeah it's funny that you said you to go back to your point about men um when people hear about luminary the first thing that they think of it's a woman's space and it's you know we're we're only for women and, and we are absolutely geared towards women that's important that to your point we have a community we have a space we can come together but as a former banker who worked in a male-dominated industry the most important thing that one of the most important things that i learned was that they have to be in the in the room in as part of the conversation so we can educate them so they can by the way they are the majority of decision makers still influencers in our careers writing the paychecks in most cases and so we have to be working with them not against them to create real change around equality etc. Because if we don't... And, and look, we're, we're doing the, more, the same thing. The more we can
1: educate and inspire, yes. it goes back to what we do every yep. day, the more you create evangelists who have the same belief. Absolutely. And I have been very fortunate throughout my career to have worked for some spectacular men mm-hmm. who embraced exactly what we're talking about through learning and have inspired, you know, other people. Very different personalities, right. um, but inherently believe that culture, right, is very important to future business success, as is diversity, as is innovation. And so, the more we can galvanize people who have that same belief, and you know, I I feel more positive. Today, for the most part, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, we're living in a very fractured environment, which does not really help things. But having said that, I do believe that the conversation is happening that much more often, that it's not acceptable anymore um, to exhibit certain behavior. And look, there's going to be bad actors everywhere. Um, There are bad women you know it's it was it's shocking to me uh finally there is at least one female board member in the fortune 500 but it took 20 years to get the last 15 companies to make that change yeah. um and certainly one is not enough because it goes back to my Nike basketball story right
0: exactly um
1: but you know don't necessarily want a board of all women either right. so i think it's a matter of You know, everybody kind of sitting back and saying, this is a business imperative. Mm -hmm. Just like you want to be a profitable company, you want to have growth, you have to,
0: you know, do certain things. This is as much a business imperative as anything else. Absolutely. And And the statistics prove it, right? Um, and the success of companies that are more diverse, right? It's, it's incredible. Uh, okay, final question is, who is your luminary?
1: I don't have one luminary. That's okay. I don't have one luminary. <laughs> I, I've been very fortunate to have had some incredible experiences. And I would say working for Phil Knight mm-hmm. was a gift. Working with Oprah Winfrey is a gift. And the reason I say that about both of them is they both are examples of having purpose filters, knowing what to say no to, believing that part of what they want to accomplish is helping people live best lives. yeah, And being able to do that at a very granular level. And so to have those experiences have been very powerful. But my daughter is my luminary. Oh,
0: that's um, wonderful. And she probably feels the same about you.
1: We we have an incredible uh, relationship. And by the way, when they're teenagers, you don't have the same incredible relationship. <laughs> I
0: remember the same with my mom. Um, <laughs> but she's my luminary
1: but, as well. But I also have been very inspired by, you know, a lot of the young entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that, um, you mm-hmm. know, we, we meet and we look at. So... Um, you know, I would say that I get inspired by people who have the vision that sometimes others don't always have, which is why I think I've only worked for the most part for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I consider myself an entrepreneur right, and those are the type of people I want to surround myself with um, people who are there for a purpose not just to do something, that Mm -hmm. want to have more of an impact and want to have more meaning. Um, You know, we've built a team over the past two years that I am so grateful to work with every single day, and it is a diverse team Mm -hmm. um, who come to the table with very different backgrounds and thoughts, and that's what creates that positive productive discomfort and I think why we're you know doing the things we're doing and have the bravery and resilience to know that transformation is not a linear journey and you have to have ultimate belief or you're not going to be able to block out the noise and be able to get there. Absolutely.
0: Well, you called yourself the accidental CEO in the beginning, but I would say you're the intentional CEO. <laughs> it has been wonderful to talk with you, Mindy. Um, we're so excited to have you speak later today at Luminary, but really all the best. And we're excited to see oh, where thank w- you. WW and goes. I love what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you.